Well, I invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 11. Um, if you remember, last week we started a series on uh, the uh, just this idea of uh, rediscovering our worship time. We talked about uh, four different words that really bring together um, what I'm trying to, I guess, get across for the next uh, three weeks now. But uh, um, the, the acrostic acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, uh, that we're kind of starting our year, week off or a year off with with that, just trying to, to really focus on worship and what worship is and how we get involved in that. And um, last week we talked about adoration. Today a little bit about, uh, we're, we're on the, the dreaded C word maybe, uh, confession. Talking about confession this morning a little bit. Um, but I want you to just draw your attention to Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning with verse number 3. Um, really certainly do want to encourage you to, to, to look over that whole passage, and we're just going to read a couple of verses from that and, um, this morning, but uh, read through cha- uh, verses 1 uh, all the way through maybe that whole chapter. Chapter 18 is an incredible chapter that, that talks about uh, this potter, this potter imagery, and, and it's an exciting one. But uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, starting with verse number 3, Uh, So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Those are incredible words. Some years ago, Life magazine described Steve Bailey as a Chaco Valentino, a, a maestro of the, of the kiss. Not the kind of kiss you're probably thinking about, but he was the candy man from uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. He worked at the Hershey Corporation. Um, and I, I don't know if Steve is still doing his job there, but at the time he was a quality control person who had, who had actually... Um, he had about 20,000 Hershey kisses pass his inspection day or his inspection station every single 60 seconds. 20,000 Hershey kisses. Steve jo- Steve's job was to search for anything less than sheer chocolate kiss perfection. The large majority of the 1,200,000 kisses that passed him every hour were perfect by the time they reached him. But then, occasionally, some of those pieces didn't quite pass the test. And so, the, see, the, the, the public's expectation, I guess, of what Hershey's, kiss, what, what Hershey's kiss is supposed to look like when it's ra- unwrapped is pretty high, I guess. Have you, any of you guys thought about that? Uh, you know, every time you open that up, do you ever kind of go, mm, this one, this doesn't look like. Evidently, I guess, if there were a poll were taken of, of what a Hershey's Kiss should be like and, and you unwrapped one and it didn't, you would know right automatically that it didn't quite fit your expectations. I know when they sit in my bus in the, in the, in the uh, little container that I have, uh, I got a little, um, well, call it like a, like a, um, it's just, just a box or an opening or a drawer next to my, and they sit in there. When they sit in there for like a year, they don't really look really good. You know, they kind of get, they're not brown anymore. They're kind of whitish. The kids like them still, but, you know, I mean. Um, 
But Steve's job was to see that each kiss is exactly 15 sixteenths of an inch in diameter at the base and that they have the proper smooth appearance, no white chalking in it, right? That they are not leaning to the side and above all that the curl at the top isn't either standing up too straight or drooping too low. It must be perfect. Now, here's the question. What happens to the kisses that fall short of some of those lofty requirements? That's, that's really the thing. The answer is this. It was Steve's job to pick the imperfect kisses, to brush them aside into what would be called something like a catch pan, and th where then they would go into a process that's actually called rework. In the rework, the defective pieces then would be melted down, and the chocolate would be mixed in with, other, with all the rest of another batch, and then the process would start all over until each and every kiss is exactly perfect. But it's a process that's called rework. And when I think of that, I'm reminded of our text for today when we looked at that and when we read that, the parable of the potter uh, that we, we see found here in Jeremiah chapter 18. Um, but I want to just read that again and just have you hear, hear how that goes because I think it's just such an incredible passage. Um, where Jeremiah says, So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. Just get an image of that potter working at the wheel this morning. But the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, and so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. You got that image in your mind. See, in Jeremiah's time, though, about 700 years before Jesus was born, there were no chocolate factories. And for him, the potter at the wheel was the most up-to-date visual representation, the most up-to-date visual object lesson that he could use to, to illustrate to us how carefully God plans and works with his people. The potter's workshop was a was a familiar everyday sight for the peoples of, of, of Jeremiah's time. And if you've ever seen a potter at work, or if you've read about somebody making pottery, um, you know that the potter makes this, this pot out of clay at the wheel, and you know, he's kind of holding onto that, and it's, it's, it's spinning as he just kind of forms it into what he... Uh, now, I, I actually have mom, my mom, my, my uncle... Um, our, our art majors, uh, they've got degrees in art. My uncle actually taught that, and he has made, we've got several bases and things where he's made a lot of that from, we did that in my high school too when I was growing up, where, where we worked with pottery a lot. Um, so I, I've got that image maybe within, and some of us, you know, it might seem a little bit old-fashioned to us. I mean, we have modern technology today, right? I mean, it just, it, so that kind of work, it, it only it, maybe we see it more at craft booths and county fairs and museum and things like that, you know, because we can just make that stuff. And yet, for the people of Jeremiah's day, the potter and pottery, pottery, that was something that was in everyday use. It wasn't just for decoration in, in a place like a museum, or, um, but it was necessary to use every single day. The skills of that potter were in high demand. And it was up to the potter to shape that clay with his skilled and delicate touch. And so for the people of Jeremiah's day, the potter was a, as much an illustration out of everyday life as making the making of Hershey Kisses would be for us today, nearly 3,000 years later. 
But I'll just share with you just a few lessons that I think that are taught by both of these illustrations here. First of all, I, th first of all, I think that there are certain standards that are, are high standards. I, I think that there are certain expectations of, perfe of perfection that each product is expected to have. Both the potter and the candy man take enormous pride in the finished product and will accept nothing short of perfection. Second of all, sometimes the product fails to measure up. For a Hershey's Kiss, the top may have too much of a little curl on it, or the outside may be a little bit too rough, or whatever. But for, and for Jeremiah's potter, the work is said to have been spoiled, probably for some of the very same reasons. The shape may be poor, or the texture not right, or the color not exactly the way that it, sh that it was expected to be. Now third, the defective piece is selected for then what's called the rework. In the case of the chocolate, it's melted down, it's remixed in with all of the other uh, unhardened chocolate. In the case of the potter, the clay is remixed with the rest of the clay and the whole process is all started all over again. And then finally, and perhaps I think maybe the most important thing in gaining a proper understanding of God's message to us in how is that, is, is that the process of, of being picked for rework is entirely at the discretion of the potter. It's all entirely at the discretion of the potter. Jeremiah, now, the, the, um, hang on to that for just a minute here, because Jeremiah says that the pieces that were selected for rework, he says they were, they were selected as seemed good to the potter. And I think that's important because it's, it's precisely what caught the attention of the New Testament uh, church as they read Jeremiah's parable and then they applied that to their own culture. And, and the Apostle Paul, he comes along in Romans, in Romans chapter 9 and he uses that same illustration in the same way in order to emphasize God's care in His power over our lives as Christians. And so, for example, we sing it, we just sang this here earlier, the, the, maybe it's been a while since we sang it, but remember how it goes? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Say that with me. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. What's the third verse? Can you read that third verse? What does that say? I, I got it right here. It's right even open to it. I, 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 I read that. Was, it, it's kind of struck me as we were actually um, singing this here this time. But have thine own way, Lord, have thine own light. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. That's pretty, that's pretty tough. That is some pretty cool stuff. God, I want you to hold over my being absolute sway. You have complete control of my life. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Those are incredible words. Sounds like a nice prayer. It sounds like a wonderful song. And yet, you know, think about that. How many of us are waiting? How many of us are yielded and still? How many of us are, are, are accepting of God to hold over me absolute sway? 
I mean, that may be so of a little piece of candy. It might be so of a little Hershey's kiss. Emotionless as they're carried along on some sort of a conveyor belt. It may be so of an inanimate uh, piece of clay that, that awaits the soft and, and skilled hands and the touch of the potter's hands and his fingers. As, uh, but that is most definitely not true of you and me. See, we like to do our things our way, right? Raise your hand if you like to do things your way. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that, right? And, and you see, that really poses a problem for us. It, it really brings a, a complication to this parable, doesn't it? That the fact that we like to be our own boss, that, that we want to do things our way, it adds just a little something to the illustration that images of inanimate clay and smooth chocolate Hershey's kisses simply cannot address. It may seem to the potter that the clay has a mind of its own, but I want to tell you it does not. We, however, do indeed have minds and hearts of our own. We are free to think, we are free to act, and to do as we choose. We don't have to wait uh, on a mistake by the potter to ruin us, right? We do a pretty good job of that on our own. We are free to choose for ourselves. But the sad fact is that, you know, we understand this. We are, you and I, we are all spoiled by sin. And sin is what leads us away from God, as I think one person so rightly and fitting, fittingly said it, we are all cracked pots. Say amen to that. We're all cracked pots. Nobody wants to say that, right? It's not fun to talk about. And, but see, God, the potter, by his grace, he sends us off into the catch pan, and there we are, melted down. And, you know, you might be kind of wondering, I guess, you know, what does all this have to do with confession? But see, that's precisely what happens to us when we stand before God, and when we confess our sins before him, and, and, and we tell him how blemished we are when we admit to him that we are less than perfect. Now, just, I think oftentimes we have this idea that, that that's just something that happens when we begin the salvation process, when we come to God for the very first time. Confession is something, but the Bible speaks about it differently, that confession and repentance is something that, that happens every single day of our lives. It's a continual thing all the time, whereas as we seek to be more and more like God, confession becomes more and real to us as we open our lives completely before him. It's not that we're always trying to say, oh, look at how bad I am, but we recognize that our standard is God and we want to be like that. But, but as we stand before God and do that and we confess to him and admit to him that we're less than perfect, that's when we become melted down. So let me just explain it like this. We, we may go, life thinking that we're pretty, go through life thinking that we're pretty impressive. As clay pots go, I guess. We observe the other clay jars around us, and we, we certainly aren't any worse than all the jars around us, right? I mean, you know, we're, so we've got something going for us, kind of like I was thinking about the communion meditation, how we, we're working our way, if you're working your way towards heaven and it's the things that I do, then we can look around us and say, those that aren't doing as well as me, well, I, I, I'm kind of struggling and wrestling and to, to uh, competing against them. But that's not it at all. Um, um, but we start, but that's what we do. We look around and we see the pots around us and we're not quite as bad as they are. We can 
we, we kind of maybe look at ourselves as being, you know, ahead above the rest. And yet, in God's eyes, everyone is spoiled. And in His grace, as we confess our faults before Him, He brushes us aside into a catch pan for the rework. You know, we always talk about the importance. I, um, last week we talked about um, the importance of being in God's Word. I think we try, try, to, try to encourage that and to talk about that um, every, you know, quite a bit. And um, last week I, I mentioned a couple of reading plans that are up there and just encourage us to be in God's Word um, and to apply that to, life, to our lives. Um, and so we have those tools up there. Um, there's a reading through the New Testament plan. There's a reading through the, through the Bible plan th- throughout the year. Um, but one of the reasons why I think we talk about that and encourage that is because of what happens when we do that. When we are in God's Word, when we are spending time learning and reading and, and understanding that, as we dig into God's Word, we recognize where our faults lie. Right? When you read God's Word, you recognize... Do you not? Where you fall short? We realize how much we truly fall short. Because as the word becomes more and more real to us, the religious shape that we were once so proud of, I think, begins to lose shape. The melting flames of God's word become hotter and hotter as they declare there is none of us that are righteous, not even one. There is none that does good none that really seeks after God. And and though we begin by thinking of ourselves as pretty outstanding pieces of work, we slowly realize how lost and formless we truly are. And God removes us from that wheel and sends us back for the rework to be mixed with the other clay. And no longer do we feel so proud of our shape, but instead we see ourselves as part of the messy mass that needs the potter's delicate touch. Now here's what I want us to see. God cannot begin the process of rework. He cannot begin to rework us or reshape us until we stand before Him blemished as we are and admit that we are not yet perfect. Now we know the good news, right? The very fact that we experience this process of rework is evidence that God is yet working with us, that He isn't finished with, with, with us yet. God sends us to the rework, and His merciful hand, merciful hand scoops, us, uh, up, scoops us up and places us back onto that wheel to make us His own masterpiece. He wanted us perfect and would settle for nothing less. He wanted to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And since we couldn't attain that standard upon, on, on our own, He will start over and do it in us. See, when Paul borrowed this parable from, of the potter from, from Jeremiah, he anticipated that some would actually blame God. I, it's, an, it's an amazing pa- passage. If you have a chance to look that up, John, or, um, Romans chapter 9, it's, it's a great passage. But, you know, he anticipated that someone would would blame God. It's kind of like, well, Brother Paul, you know, if God is the potter and I'm the mindless, motionless, motionless chunk of clay, then let's let's think this through a little bit here. Um, If I'm marred, then it's not my fault, right? It's his fault. It's his goop. It's not mine. I mean, that 
might even seem make, like it makes sense to us. You know, if, you're, if you are shopping and a, and a piece of pottery on the shelf looks bad, you're over at Walmart, you look up and you see the piece of pottery up there and it kind of looks kind of out of shape or it kind of look, doesn't look like it's, it's formed well. Whose fault is it? The person who made it, right? We could think that, right? Um, and so they, these people, they object to Paul's use of the parable saying, you know, using your analogy, if I turn out bad, God is at fault here, not me. And I, I guess in some sense I can understand their argument, can't you? And Paul has an answer to their accusation. He says, who are you to talk back to God? So what does form say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for ennoble purposes or for common use? And then Paul, then he uses Pharaoh to illustrate God's actions, which is such an amazing thing when you think about it. We, we read that, that Pharaoh uh, hardened his heart against God's word back in the book of Exodus. Pharaoh hardens his heart against God's words. And, and it also says actually that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And Paul would say then, therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. In other words, Paul is saying that God allowed a blemished piece to pass by undetected and to become hardened in that, in that blemished state. He didn't send Pharaoh back to be melted and reworked. He allowed him to harden in his defective state, in defective condition. And I think about that and I think, man, I, I, I pray that God would not allow us to be hardened in our defective condition. See, I, sometimes I don't see God's rework as his blessing. Sometimes I don't allow God to challenge me by his spirit. Sometimes I don't allow him to correct me through his word, through the word of God. Sometimes I don't allow him to change me and to purify me in the fires of his grace. I want to leave us with a couple of things this morning. First of all, um, every single one of us is in need of God's rework. We are always. And if we really allow God's word to actually penetrate into our hearts and our minds, it will always send us into the rework process, creating change and making us into new, create, into new creatures. But then secondly, last week we talked about rediscovering the power of praise. When we talked about getting that, that hallelujah principle back and, you know, into our lives, back into our, into our worship, becoming re-amazed by Jesus. And, and, and uh, I didn't mention this last week because I wanted to, to save it for today. And, and that is that one of the reasons I think that we can't hallelujah is because we haven't allowed God to send us back into that rework process. A very vital part of our worship before God is being able to humbly bow before Him and admitting to Him that we need Him. To admit that we're not perfect and to realize once again just how wonderful it is to be forgiven. I think that's easy to forget. Let me just close with this. There's a story about a, about a businessman who wanted to sell some warehouse property and uh, the building had been empty actually for months and was in desperate need of repair and 
And the building had been vandalized and left severely damaged. There were some windows that were smashed. There were some doors that were needing some repair. There was trash all around the building and so on and so forth, thrown all over. And he showed a, a, a prospective buyer the property. He emphasized that he would replace those broken windows and fix those doors and have a, a crew to, to come in and to repair some of the structural damage and clean up the place. And the buyer just kind of looked at it and laughed at it. He says, forget the repairs. He says, when I buy this place, he says, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to build something different. I don't want the building. I just want the site. See, I think that that's God's message to us. We might try to gloss over the flaws in our lives with a little structural work here and a little bit of uh, uh, structural work there. But our efforts at reform are as trivial as, as sweeping out a warehouse that is already that's ready for a wrecking ball, right? When God acts, that is when we are sent to the rework, and He makes all things new. All He wants is the sight, and that's just what we are, right? Let's pray together, Father. We. We know that sometimes it's hard for us to, um, to recognize what you are doing in our lives. Um, sometimes we need to, to recognize just who we are in, in, in your sight. And, and it's not that you're trying to demean us or to uh, make us feel insignificant. Actually, on the contrary, you want to, to recognize uh, what your purpose is and what you want of us as, as Christians. And, Father, I, I think of this, this idea of, of confession and, and um, repentance and just the, the need that we have to, today in our culture to recognize that, that it's not a competition about who, who's better and who, and than, than those around us, but it's, it's actually me before you recognizing that you are the potter and I am the clay and just submitting to your will. And God, that may be hard for 21st century Americans, but I pray that for us here at New Life, um, that that would be something that we would recognize and, and, and seek to, to, uh, to be molded and made into your image, not into the image that our American culture is trying to make us into. Um, we do love you, and we do seek to be what you want us to be. And I pray that as we head out these doors today that you would, you would uh, help us to, to make that become um, something that is seen in each of our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.